Okay, well, we're going to have some fun this morning because the sermon is about speaking in tongues. We're talking about speaking in tongues this morning. Some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for this. This is the one. Others of you are like, I don't want this. This is not why I came to church. And if you're not a Christian and you're here visiting and you kind of have always thought Christians are weird, today we'll confirm that for you. Confirm that for you. Welcome to come back another Sunday and figure it out. Uh, We're doing this because it comes up in Pentecost. And we've been studying Pentecost together in Acts chapter 2. And obviously there, there was some speaking in tongues. And we'll read that text in a moment. But let's open in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. Sort of the predominant text on the topic in the New Testament. And we'll get to working our way through that text in just a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 14. And let's say a word of prayer together before we get started. We thank you, God, for your word. We believe it has all authority. We bring ourselves under your word now. We ask that you would give us eyes to clearly see what it says, ears to hear, faith to believe and to trust you. We pray together, please, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit and anoint me to teach and preach about this in a way that's helpful and faithful. And that we as a church would rejoice in what you're doing and obey you with joy and experience more of you continually, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let's revisit on the screen that text that we've been talking about, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the first few verses. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We've read that text a few times over the last few weeks, and we've been talking about Pentecost, and a couple things came up on the day of Pentecost, being filled with the Spirit. We took a Sunday to talk about that in particular. Prophecy, we took last Sunday to talk about that in particular, and speaking in tongues clearly comes up here. And the component of the disciples speaking in tongues at this time was cause for wonder and bewilderment. There was strong reaction from those who observed it, non-believers, right? Some of them looked and they saw it and they're like, you guys are drunk. This is craziness. Others of them saw it and said, what, what is this? We want to know more about what is going on. I think there's probably a similar feel in the church and even in our church this morning, right? Some of us hear about this and we're like, this is kind of craziness. And others are like, well, this is interesting. Tell me more. It's still like that. The topic of tongues causes a little wonderment within the church. Let's just do this, a little informal, informal poll. Don't be shy. But how many of you here have been enabled by the Spirit to speak in tongues? Raise your hand. Keep them up for a minute. Okay, look around, guys. Everybody, that's like, I don't know, a few of us, less than a third of the church or so. How many of you are like, uh, I, don't, I don't really want anything to do with it? Raise your hand, honestly. Yeah, look, there's some people here. Cool. 
Denny, I knew you would. There's some people here. It's totally cool. That's fine. That's sort of how the reaction was on the day of Pentecost. That's not surprising. I also want to just say this. There is room within Reality Carpenteria for variance on this topic. Right? In reality, we're we're not asking for homogeny. We're not asking for everybody to believe exactly the same way about every little point within Christianity. That's not what this is. What we agree upon, what we must agree upon, are the core tenets of the historic Christian faith. What we'll call primary issues or the majors. Things like the nature of God the identity of Jesus, the way that we are saved through the cross, the bodily resurrection of Christ, so on and so forth, the majors, primary doctrinal issues. And then you have a whole litany of secondary doctrinal issues. The speaking in tongues would be one of those. And what we don't do as reality is major in the minors. We don't major in the minors, right? We want to have agreement on the core tenets of the historic Christian faith, primary doctrinal issues, because that's what makes us Christians. But we want to be able to have conversation with one another about secondary issues. And we're not one of those churches where we all have to agree on all the stuff or we can't be together. And secondary issues are not something that we would ever divide upon. Hear me now. This is not something that we would ever divide upon. There are people in our church that say, I don't want anything to do with that. There are people in our church who's like, I love that. I can't wait to do more of that. And that's okay. Unity within the body of Christ does not mean homogeny, that we're all exactly the same. Rather, true unity recognizes diversity, but obeys a greater claim. The greater claim is Jesus He's the main point. And then the primary doctrinal issues around Jesus and what we get from Scripture. So it's okay within reality that there's variance on this. That's to be expected and respected here. Capiche? Okay. Now, in some ways, it seems silly that we're devoting an entire sermon to speaking in tongues. Because the book of Acts encompasses about 30 years of church history and tongues only comes up three times. Jesus only ever mentions it one time. In all the epistles in the New Testament, the only epistle that talks about it is 1 Corinthians. And it only does so in three chapters. The New Testament has 240 chapters in it. And in the, 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 the list of the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's two of them. In both lists, tongues is listed last amongst all the other gifts. And in the list in Romans chapter 12, it's not even mentioned among the gifts. So honestly, it doesn't really seem that important. And yet, the Apostle Paul, Holy Scripture, says things like this in 1 Corinthians. I wish you could all speak in tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. One of Paul's humble moments there. So it doesn't seem that important, but from the Apostle Paul's perspective, Holy Scripture tells us it's actually kind of a cool thing. Paul says, I I wish everybody could experience this, and I'm so glad that I do it more than 
anybody else. And so, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's an entire chapter devoted to the gift of tongues and prophecy together. 1 Corinthians 14, that we'll work through in a moment, where Paul compares and contrasts the two. And that's not true of any other gifts. We don't have a whole chapter on like the gift of administration or the gift of mercy or even the gift of healing. It's, it's, it's uh, particular to these two gifts, tongues and prophecy. Maybe that's because, maybe, maybe those two get a, a sort of different spotlight on, different intention because they are the ones that we often see or at least perceive to be misused or abused, or overemphasized, or obsessed about. And so they often become the two things, prophecy and speaking in tongues, that then are ostracized, or despised, or we attempt to minimize them, because of some of the weird stuff that we've seen. And we've all seen weird stuff. And you know, honestly, like prophecy and tongues those are the two gifts that are easily, like, faked. You can't fake service. Your heart might be in the wrong place, but you got to serve. You can't fake the gift of administration. Like, dude, you either got it or you don't. You know what I mean? Like, gift of mercy, gift of healing, all these other things. But those other two, like, anybody could just kind of say, like, hey, I have a word from the Lord, and here's what it is, and claim for it to be prophecy. That's why, as we read last week, we're told to judge prophecies together as a community. And then also anybody could like make some crazy sounds and be like, I'm speaking in tongues. And how do we know there's 6,909 known languages in the world? How could we like narrow it down and say yes or no? Not to mention tongues of angels, unknown languages. So I think we have to be honest about that. And that's probably created amongst some of us some wariness But because that's there, and because it comes up in the text of Pentecost, and we're studying Pentecost, and it was kind of a big part of Pentecost, we're taking the time to study it. And I I just don't think fear or anxiety or animosity are necessary with us. I think Scripture is clear and true and beautiful, and we can trust God. So what is speaking in tongues? This is my own definition formed by Scripture, my words. The spirit of a person... Unless, hold, hold on, unless I borrowed this from someone else at some other time and I can't remember and it's plagiarism, but I think I wrote this. <laughs> that might have been the spirit, but I just had a little check when I said my words. Just in all honesty. I don't know, it could be Wayne Grudem. <laughs> a definition of speaking in tongues. To God be the glory, his words. The spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray to or praise God in a way that is apart from the mind of the person and in a language that is not known by the person. Very careful word choice there, very technical definition. An excellent one, I would say myself. The spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray to or praise God in a way that is apart from the mind of the person and in a language that is not known by the person. Now we can form that definition from just a couple verses in Scripture. We'll put them both up right now. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Right, so it's not a natural ability. It's not something we can muster up or learn or teach ourselves. It's a supernatural enabling by the Holy Spirit. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So it's outside of what our mind comprehends. It's our spirit communicating to God in some way that has been enabled by the Holy Spirit. So the nitty gritty, how does it work? Well, it's when there comes into the spirit of a person a burden to pray something to God or to say something to God that has gone beyond our grammatical means. A burden to pray something to God or say something to God, to praise him in some way that goes beyond our vocabulary. It might be that there's an instance where you're so engulfed in worshiping and praising the Lord, so much gratitude directed toward him that you just run out of words for that. You even run out of thought process for that. And yet there's something deep within you that wants to give God glory. Or it may be that there's a situation that is so desire or so... uh, dire, thank you. There might be a situation that is so dire that you know your only hope is to pray to God, but it's so gnarly you don't even have words. Or it's just beyond what you can even think. At those times, the Holy Spirit can help us to communicate to God through these means. This might be what's in view, not sure, but this might be what's in view in Romans chapter 8 where we read this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, it might be speaking in tongues. It's in view there. It might be prayer language, which is what we're talking about. It might not be. But the salient point is that there are times where we are endeavoring to communicate to God and it's beyond our ability. It's beyond what we're able to think. It's beyond what we're able to verbalize. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. Now, here's a key differentiation uh, that's important. We talked about prophecy last week. And it'll talk about in the chapter we're going to read, but tongues go up to God from people is enabled by the Spirit. And prophecy comes down from God to people as revealed by the Spirit. That's important. Uh, Prophetic words and speaking in tongues are not the same thing. Let's see how Paul begins to contrast those and so teach us a few things. In 1 Corinthians 14, we'll read the first two verses. I'm reading from the NLT. It says in verse 1, Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, or spiritual gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. There's that word. I love that word. Are you uncomfortable with that word? I love that word. It'll all be mysterious. But notice there's a differentiation there, right? Prophecy is God speaking to us and then through us. Speaking in tongues is God's spirit enabling us to speak to God. Therefore, speaking in tongues, if we were to know what's being said, will always be prayer or intercession, praise or praise or thanksgiving. 
It's not going to be a message to someone or a message to the church or some sort of instruction. That's more like prophecy. This is always God-directed. Praise or intercession or the giving of thanks. We kind of see Paul teasing that out. If you want to skip ahead, we'll return. But to verse 15, where Paul says, Well, then what should I do? If I pray in the Spirit, I also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit. I will also sing in words I understand. If you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Now, we'll return to that. But what we see there is the scripture is telling us that speaking in tongues is God word. Prayer, praise, and the giving of thanks. We even saw that in Acts chapter 2. They were speaking in tongues, but everyone that heard it in their own languages said they were declaring the wonderful works of God. So speaking in tongues is not used for prophetic leading, nor is it used for evangelism. They're separate. Acts chapter 19, they were filled with the Spirit, began to speak in tongues and prophesy. It says two separate things. And in Acts chapter 2, they were speaking in tongues. And then everyone said, what is this? And when Peter went to preach and to teach, to explain, to expound, to shed light on, and to evangelize, he did it in the known language of the day so that everybody understood what he was doing. Does that make sense? Now here's a delineation. Prophecy strengthens others and or the church. Tongues strengthens only the individual using the gift. Let's keep reading in verse 3 now and see this. We'll go all the way to verse 12. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encouraging them and comforting them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play their notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, spiritual gifts, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So Paul here makes a clear claim that prophecy has this comforting, encouraging, strengthening effect within the body of Christ. It's other-directed, helps others. But tongues, not so. Tongues is primarily about the individual and their own edification. And that makes tongues unique amongst all the other gifts. All the other gifts are oriented toward serving one another. Helps, mercy, 
administration, so on and so forth. They're oriented toward others and helping others, serving them to build up the body of Christ that we might be more like Jesus. Tongues is primarily focused toward us. Paul said it explicitly there. It builds us up. Now, I want to say that that is not a bad thing. Don't think wrongly about that. Yes, we're service-oriented and Jesus came to serve and we should be serving one another. And all the gifts are about that. But here's this one cool gift that is actually about you and your spirit being built up in Christ. And it's for you. Maybe you don't like to serve. You don't have to serve through tongues. You just serve yourself. <laughs> Little joke. But that's not a bad thing. That is not to cause us to think disparagingly because it edifies us and not the rest of the church. Paul casts that as a positive. And then, of course, he gave a caveat about interpretation. So here's another delineation. If an utterance in tongues is interpreted, then it can strengthen others and or the church. So verse 13 says, So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret. Interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. We'll keep reading. We read these verses already, but that's okay. Well, then what should I do? I'll pray in the spirit and I'll also pray in words I understand. I'll sing in the spirit. I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So there is an instance in which speaking in tongues helps, edifies, strengthens the body, and that's when there is an interpretation. So let's talk about what that might look like. Uh, we'll use our Tuesday night gatherings as an example because that, that would be the kind of context where this would happen. There's not a lot of space for the public exercising of the gift of tongues here on Sunday mornings. Public means that it would be said within the group at a volume that would clearly betray the intent that we want others to hear this. That's fine, the public use of tongues. There's not a lot of opportunity for that here. The music is pretty loud, you know what I mean? So even if you're like yelling in tongues, nobody's really hearing you. Uh, If you like spoke out in tongues during the sermon, that would be weird. We'd be like, what are you doing? But let it get a Tuesday night gathering where we're waiting on the Lord together. There's opportunity there. We haven't experienced it yet on one of our Tuesday nights recently. Uh, We have had prophetic words, right? We've had some super cool prophetic words. Sometimes people just speak it out. Other times they've come up to me and said, I think I have a prophetic word. I've given them the microphone and they share it. We're like, yes, that's awesome. It seems like we all agree that was the Lord. Like, remember that one the other Tuesday night about being uncorked? Remember that if you weren't there You should have been. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. That was amazing. That's been ministering to me since then. So we've had prophetic words, but we haven't necessarily had the public exercise of tongues. We'll get to private in a moment. But let's just say that we're waiting on the Lord and someone with a volume that obviously shows they intend for all of us to hear speaks out in an unknown language. And tongues can either be one of the known languages in the world. There are 6,909. Or an unknown language, tongues of angels. They speak out, we all hear it. What I would do if I'm leading that meeting at that point is I would say, okay, God has just given someone um, an utterance in tongues. 
1 Corinthians says then, since that was a public use of the gift within the whole church gathering, then there ought to be an interpretation of it. So let's wait on the Lord and ask him to provide an interpretation. That's what we would do at that time. And we wait for the Lord to give an interpretation. We would know as an interpretation, right? Because it would be prayer or intercession, praise or the giving of thanks. It would be God-directed. It wouldn't be a message so if so, to us. So if someone spoke out in tongues and then someone was like, I have the interpretation, God is saying this to us. We'd be like, ah, I don't think according to scripture that was the interpretation of that tongues. And maybe that you got a prophetic word and maybe that you're just missing. That's okay. There's room here for us to grow together. But tongues interpreted would always be praise oriented. So someone might say, oh, that was just them saying, Lord, we praise you for this and that. We thank you for that. It would be praise oriented. Does that make sense? Admittedly rare in our church, though it has happened in the past, but that's the way that that would work out. Now, here's an important demarcation. Demarcation. Thank you. Tongues is primarily to be used as a private prayer language and should be minimized in the broad public church gathering. Paul's going to tell us that explicitly in the next 10 verses. Let's read it, starting in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but unbelievers. Pause right there, give me your attention. A sign for unbelievers, a great example of that is Acts chapter 2, where they begin to speak in tongues, and all the unbelievers there wondered and asked questions. Some of them cast aspersion, this is craziness. Some of them said, what is this about? And then Peter shared what it was about from Scripture, and he preached, and 3,000 were saved. So in that way, tongues was a sign to unbelievers. Now he continues in the second half of verse 22. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. 
speak in tongues to God privately. So it's clear that there is the public exercising of speaking in tongues, and there is the private exercising of it, or what some would call a prayer language. And Paul exalts, it seems, speaking in tongues for private prayer and praise. A couple excerpts from 1 Corinthians 14. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. I wish you could all speak in tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. It seems that Paul really values speaking in tongues as a personal source of edification, of strengthening spiritual experience. Seems that he really values the private exercising of the gift of tongues. And that it had this positive effect in his life. It seemed to have built up his faith in Christ. But Paul downplays, does not forbid, but downplays the public use of tongues in the church gathering. Why? He gave us his rationale in the text. The goal of the church gathering is for everyone to be edified. That's why we come here together. Like, this is different than your private devotions. This is different than your prayer closet. This is different from your time in your chair with your coffee, reading scripture, worshiping God. This is different. We're all coming together to be mutually edified and built up by what we do here. It's a certain thing. The other reason, and tongues doesn't do that unless it's interpreted. The other reason that he says it should be minimized is because unbelievers might be present and they will think that we're crazy and feel alienated. And they might be here today. They probably are. And they probably already think that these people are crazy. Come back again. But what is clear is that edification and evangelization and teaching demand intelligible content And tongues by themselves cannot provide that. So in the corporate setting, Paul valued knowable communication. He says, I'd rather speak five words that people understand that is helpful to them than 10,000 that they don't get. That instructed, strengthened, and formed others in the image of Christ above tongues. Paul here in verse 19, right? Again, I just quoted it. Seems to imply that he would almost never almost never speak in tongues in the congregational setting, but preferred the private use. So he puts clear limits on the public use. So it just seems like it's not that big of a deal. The whole reason that Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth is because they were in some ways making too big of a deal of some of the gifts And they weren't using them in a proper orderly fashion. And so Paul writes to them. And what he doesn't say is stop moving in the gifts of the spirit. He doesn't tell them to stop doing it. He just tells them to do it better. So he puts some parameters on it it for the church that are helpful. And so we need to sort of heed those, obviously. And the public use seems to be minimized or downplayed. He says explicitly in verses 27 and 28, in this sort of setting, no more than two or three should speak one at a time and only if there is an interpretation. What is clear is that it would be biblically okay for someone to speak out loud public exercise of the gift of tongues in the church gathering. That would be okay. It would probably to our church feel a little like strange and we'd all perk up because it's not part of our culture. But that's also okay. It's clear from this text that it's okay when the church gathers to speak in tongues and it's okay not to speak in tongues 
in the public sense. It's clear from the scripture, but that's fine. What isn't fine is to forbid it or despise it then. Right? He says in verse 39 of the chapter, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. The fact that he had to write that means that there were some in the church who were watching the exercise of tongues and they're like, no, let's not do that. We're, we're going to forbid that. And that can be a, a sentiment even here. And Paul says, don't, don't do that. In essence, Paul is saying what we've often said to ourselves, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But he says, do throw out the bathwater. Do throw out the bathwater, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The, the, the baby is speaking in tongues. The bathwater would be lots of people doing it in a public way at the same time with no interpretation. He says, don't do that. Throw out the bathwater, keep the baby. Don't stop doing it, just do it better. And he says in verse 40, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now, when someone is enabled by the Spirit to speak in tongues, we have the choice whether to exercise that in a private way or a public way. It primarily has to do with intent manifest in volume. We always have the choice as it pertains to the gifts of the Spirit. Later on in that chapter, in verse 32, Paul would say, the spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet. So if someone just tells, like, says something, they're just like, I absolutely could not control myself. I just had to say that. Paul would say, no, no, no. That's not the way the spirit works. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet. You actually do have control. The spirit works through you, but the spirit works with you. And in the same way, we have the choice when we're exercising the gift of tongues for it to be a private thing or a public thing. It has to do with intent manifest in volume. So if I'm here with the church and I begin to speak in tongues out loud in a volume that it's intended, obviously, for a lot of us to hear, that would be public. There needs to be an interpretation. If I was over here in the corner, praying quietly with myself or a couple others and using my prayer language, that would be private. There doesn't necessarily have to be an interpretation. In Acts 19, there was tongues and no interpretation. Let me give you an example. You know how a lot of times as a church, we lay hands on people who are going out to the mission field or church planners or other people like that. And so we bring them up and here's what they're doing. Church, let's pray for them. And you all come forward and you lay hands on them. And then I or another leader generally lead in prayer. Here's what happens to me a lot of times is I'm praying for that person. And I, I just often like don't know what to pray anymore. You know what I mean? Like you guys have probably noticed over the years, like every time we lay hands on someone, Brit says the same thing over and over. Like, God bless them. Surround them as the mountains around about Jerusalem. Lord, fill them with your spirit. And them. <laughs> I confess that. I don't know. But sometimes I have like this deep, deep, not negative, but heaviness from the spirit. We're like, dude, we're praying for, for these people who are like going to the mission field to give their life. Or they're moving to the city and they're going to plant a church and I know how gnarly that's going to be. And sometimes there's something in me that wants to say something that is beyond what I can even think or know to say. But because 
I have a microphone. I do not use my prayer language. I have the gift of tongues. I could do that. I do not do that. Because I do not know if someone in the room has a gift of interpretation. And I myself do not have the gift to interpret my own tongues. So I hold myself back and I use the grammar and the syntax that is at my command and I pray the best I can. And I don't use my prayer language there. Other times, I may be by myself or in a small group of people, a lot of times with the worship team before we come up on stage and begin to lead in worship or something like that. And we're praising the Lord and we're praying together and there's deep things to express to the Lord and I don't necessarily have the grammar and the spirit enables me to praise or pray to the Lord in a certain way. And because it's not the whole church gathering, it's not a thing that's about all of our edification and there's not non-believers present, I can exercise as a reasonable volume not intended for everybody else my prayer language and scripture does not require an interpretation at that point wasn't the whole meeting wasn't for everybody's edification weren't non-believers present so there's a real difference between the public exercising and the private exercising of the gift of tongues and it has to do with intent manifest by volume now This, this happens frequently. If we're together in some sort of setting, maybe again it's our Tuesday night gatherings, and, and someone at a volume that makes clear their intent that this is not meant to be for everyone is praying in their prayer language, praising God in an unknown tongue, and you overhear them, that is not cause for alarm. Tongues is not Christian contraband. It's not like a bad thing. Like sometimes, you know, people, they hear someone over here and they're praying in tongues. What? (laughs) It's not like you just caught them with something dirty or bad or they just said a bad word. Like that's, sometimes we treat it like, what? You can't, nobody can ever hear you. That's not the intent here. It's speaking, speaking. Speaking in tongues, there is going to be some degree of volume. It is intent, manifest by volume, whether it's meant to be for everyone. Now, if it was out loud and everyone heard, we'd be like, oh, Paul says that this is supposed to be about our mutual edification. When you say it that loud and the whole room kind of hears it, we need to wait for an interpretation. How cool, let's do that. Oh, I'm nervous. But if it's just someone over here using their prayer language and you're sitting by them and you overhear them, They have not done something wrong. And that is not cause for alarm. If it honestly bothers you, go to the other side of the room. You say, but it's unfruitful. Paul says it's unfruitful. There's no interpretation for me. He said it's unfruitful. It's not evil. You don't have to freak out about that. It wasn't intended for you. So you overheard them praising God. It's okay, dude. It's okay. Now, conversely, the person, when there's other people around who exercises the gift of tongues or their prayer language, should be sensitive, right? You should be insensitive. What is your intent? Is your intent that this is a private thing with you and God? Then your volume should reflect that. Be sensitive to other people around you. We need to get along together, right? Prefer one another and just 
Chill out and be sensitive and considerate about those things. So, tongues is, to recap thus far, the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to communicate to God in a way that is part from the mind of the person and in a language that is not known by the person. And again, those languages could be one of the 6,909 languages that are known on earth or tongues of angels, unknown ones. Next, it is something that is directed at God, prayer, praise, singing, giving thanks. It edifies the individual and so is primarily for private use. If it is intended for the whole church, then it can happen in a limited way with interpretation and then it edifies the whole church. That's what speaking in tongues is. Now briefly, what speaking in tongues is not. Number one, it is not for every believer. Paul says explicitly in 1 Corinthians 12, all do not speak in tongues, do they? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. He does say in 1 Corinthians 14, I wish you all speak in tongues, could speak in tongues. If he was wishing that we all could, then we all can't. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, the spirit alone decides which gifts each person should have. And he doesn't give them all to everybody. So it's not necessarily for every believer. Second important thing, it is not a mandatory sign of spirit baptism talked a few weeks ago about being filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see in the book of Acts that when people were baptized in the Spirit, sometimes there was speaking in tongues, sometimes there wasn't. Scripture does not bear out that if somebody is filled with the Spirit, they will for sure speak in tongues. You cannot build that argument from Scripture. It does not bear that out. Now, some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, whom we love and respect, that's their position on it. If you're filled in the Spirit, then you will speak in tongues, and that is the evidence that you're filled in Spirit. I don't think so. I think the evidence is that we are witnesses for Christ and do so with power, it seems to say in the book of Acts. It doesn't seem to bear that claim out. I think that's a false notion. The problem with it is it creates a temptation for some people to fake it. That's the problem with that, right? If, if, if a church is teaching, if you are filled with the Spirit, then you will speak in tongues, then you're going to like find some way to speak in tongues. Man, I was in Australia one time. I went to this little Pentecostal church in midweek service and I went forward. The call was for prodigals and I went forward and I was there. Somehow I ended up on my back on the floor with people praying for me. And I'm not kidding you, man. Like this person was grabbing my mouth and shaking my cheeks like that, saying, speak in tongues, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. And I'm like, I... I can't. So like at that point, I either need to like dig in my heels, like get off me, freak, or I had to like go along with the crowd. That was a real experience. See, I've had bad experience with this stuff too. It's funny, huh? Actually happened. Actually happened. And Paul teaches us every believer should be filled with the Spirit all the time. Ephesians 5.18, but not everyone speaks in tongues, he just said in the text. So it cannot be a sign of spirit baptism. It may happen, it may not. Also, it is not a sign of the super special or super spiritual. Duh! 
The only thing that makes you special is that you are loved by God in Christ. The only thing that makes you spiritual is that through Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and faith in him, you have been made spiritually alive when you were previously dead. That's what makes us special and spiritual is the love of God manifesting the work of Christ. Not the gifts. The gifts are given according to grace, not merit. They are called charismata in the Greek, a gift of grace. Nobody has earned any of the gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. We've all seen people with gifts they clearly did not deserve. And that's the point. None of us deserves these things. The Spirit gives them and mysteriously, I would say, in ways we don't understand. So it's not a sign of being super special or super spiritual. It's not the way these things work. And the goal of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church is not that we would have gifts. The goal is that we would have fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The gifts are the tools by which we get there through the enabling of the Holy Spirit to serve one another and be conformed to the image of Christ who himself manifests and is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So the goal is not to have the gifts. The goal is to look like Jesus. That's why Paul starts this all out in 1 Corinthians 13. One, by saying, if I speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is the main goal, loving one another because we have been loved by Christ. Loving Christ because he first loved us. The goal is not the gifts. The goal is the fruit and love. So with all that said, we end by asking ourselves the question, do we want to speak in tongues? A common prayer of ours is, God, we want everything you have for us. Nothing more and nothing less. That seems like a super sort of mundane, perfunctory, cop-out prayer. That's actually a radical, bold prayer. Lord, I want everything you have for me. That's actually a really bold prayer. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't know. In my life, I found there's lots of times where I want something more than what God wanted for me. And honestly, a lot of times I want less than what God had for me. Like never pray this prayer. God, please deeply form my character to be like Christ. Because you will suffer when you pray that prayer. Because the New Testament teaches that suffering is one of the main ways that our character is formed into the image of Christ. So I don't pray that prayer. I pray the other prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But it's actually a bold prayer to pray. God, we want everything you have for us, nothing more, nothing less. And so that may be true about tongues for some of us. Wayne Grudem, one of my favorite modern theologians, my two favorite modern theologians, if you ever wondered, are D.A. Carson and Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem says this, since it is a gift Paul views as edifying and useful in prayer and worship, on a personal level, if even not in church, 
It would not be surprising if the Holy Spirit gave a very widespread distribution of this gift and many Christians, in fact, received it. That's a plausible position. We saw in our informal poll that maybe a third of us or less are able to speak in tongues. Maybe God wants it for more of us. Now, I just want to say this. If you don't want it, if you maintain your position that you had in the beginning, you're like, I don't want that or anything to do with it. That is totally fine. You may not need it. If you needed it, God might be stirring a desire in you for it. The Father knows you and he loves you. Let's just be sure that we are basing that on Bible and that we're not disparaging it outside of Scripture. Let's think biblically about it, even if we say we don't want it. Remember, we form theology from God's word, not bad examples. Scripture says that it's good and it's worthy of desiring, but that it's not that big of a deal. So if you don't want it and you never want to hear about tongues again, that's actually totally fine. That's fine biblically and that's fine in this church. And if you do want it, that's fine. That's good, Paul would say. It may be then if you want it that you actually need it. Just be sure that you're thinking biblically about it and not exalting it to some place just because it's creepy and intriguing. You should want it because you feel that there are times where there are prayers, songs, praise, and the giving of thanks that are beyond your ability to process and to express. Groaning's too deep for words. So then how does it happen? Very simply, if you want it, just ask. You can do that today. We'll go into a time of worship and prayer. And if you want this gift, just ask the Lord. Ask and trust. Trust means that you're okay if he does and you're okay if he doesn't. Trust your heavenly father. He's good. He knows what you need. He loves you. He has your best in mind. Ask him and trust. God, I I trust that you're able to do this. Would you give me this gift? And I'm okay, Lord, if you don't. But feel free to ask repeatedly. The Bible teaches explicitly that we're to pray with consistency, with importunity. So feel free to ask repeatedly. It's always good to pray the same things over and over because whenever we're doing that, there is some character formation happening, some refining of motives, some way that God is working. The end answer might be no, but it's good to continue to ask the Lord. He'll always work in that context. My story is that um, I, for most of my Christian life, I didn't. I wasn't able to speak in tongues. And I had asked the Lord for a lot of times. I asked, asked the Lord for it a lot of times. It was back in the college ministry days, right? We're talking early 2000s, 1998. Kate and I had started doing reality, the college ministry at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. And a lot of young people coming, a lot of people that were charismatic. And it seemed like a lot of people around us were like speaking in tongues and have prophetic words. So I just wanted to do that too, So I was repeatedly asking the Lord for it for years. For years and years, I'd ask the Lord all the time. And the Lord never gave it to me. So then one night at that college ministry, I was teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we came to 1 Corinthians 14. So now I have to teach on the gift of tongues. And I don't have the gift of tongues. So I was asking God tons leading up to it. I was like, God, you know that whole like practice what you preach thing? Like it might be cool if I actually could speak in tongues when I'm teaching on speaking in tongues. Lord, please give it to me. Lord never gave it to me. And then I just kind of surrendered it. 
was a little bit over it. Like, okay, God doesn't have it for me. I'm over it. I'm not going to ask for that anymore. Just came to that place of surrender. So I taught a sermon from 1 Corinthians 14. Told the people, I don't have the gift of tongues. I've been asking the Lord forever. He doesn't give it to me. I'm totally fine with that. No problem. And then at the end, we just did that thing we do. We're worshiping. And I was down on the carpets, just praising God and worshiping. And this little Asian guy, Paul Sanaka was his name, comes up and puts his hand on my shoulder. And honestly, I was just kind of annoyed at that point. Like, I'm on that car. I was just trying to do my thing, worship Jesus. I just taught a sermon. It was hard. I'm not sure I knew what I was saying. And I'm just here worshiping. He comes and he puts his hand on my shoulder. And he's like, bro, I want to pray for you. I'm like, ah, oh, bro, just go away. <laughs> but I didn't say that. Private exercise, just I didn't say that. But that's how I felt. I want to pray for you for the gift of tongues. I knew, I knew someone was going to do that. Never say those kind of things as a preacher because someone's going to come and try to do something about it. Don't do anything about it. Comes up to me and he prays the most simple, disappointing prayer. He just says, God, I know you love Brit. And if you have the gift of tongues for him, I just pray you give it to him. Amen. Yeah, but I was like, <sighs> so then he left. So I'm just there worshiping. And the worship was awesome. Bam was rocking. It was a beautiful thing. I just went to this deep place of praise and worship. And all of a sudden, I sensed something in my spirit that was God word that I wanted to express to God that I didn't know. It's outside of my mind. I, 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 I didn't have words for it. I didn't, I, I didn't even know what it was. And all of a sudden, as this feeling was welling up and I was praising the Lord, speaking out loud, praising the Lord, singing, there came to me an utterance that was an unknown conglomeration of syllables to me. And I spoke in tongues at that moment. And then I was like, And so then I tried to do it again, and I just, like, nothing came. I was like, oh, oh, like, nothing, nothing was happening. And then later on, I, I experienced it some more times, and I've, I've grown in that gift. But my point in that story is, and it may be helpful, if you want the gift of tongues, if you ask someone to pray for you. Prayer team will be up here. They'll pray simple prayers of faith, right? Just simple prayers of faith. If God wants to do it, he'll do it. And it works just like normal language. You'll sense, you'll have some deep feeling that you want to express to God, but it will be beyond normal language because you won't know exactly what it is you want to say. It's a spirit going beyond our mind and you will verbalize these sounds. And I just want to say you don't need to force it. You don't need to like wiggle your tongue or say gibberish on purpose or repeat some phrase or have anybody grab your face and shake it. But what you do need to do is go to a place of true, authentic, humble praise and prayer before God. Because that's the whole point of it. It doesn't even make sense to ask for the gift if we're not in an attitude of praise or prayer toward God. That's the whole point of the thing. So maybe what's missing is you're just not creating that space and time to go to those deep places. So, So maybe just that might be a thing you do today or this week. Just go to a deep place of praising God. Praise God to the end of your grammar. Exhaust your knowledge of syntax. Use up all the words you know and you'll find that the glory of Jesus is deeper still. And if you keep going, you want to express to him or there's some instance in your life that you want to pray for that you don't know, maybe the Lord will do that.
If he doesn't do that, that's okay. That means that your grammar and your syntax and your thoughts are enough. And that's not lesser. And then the last thing I'll say, because I think it's a practical help. Uh, it's like every other gift. It should be grown in and developed. So uh, when you're learning to speak English as a baby here in America, your vocabulary is fairly limited. When you first receive the gift of tongues, it seems to me that your vocabulary is fairly limited. You've probably heard people speak in tongues where you're like, gosh, it's like the same 16 syllables all the time. Well, there's just babies in it, just growing in it. The vocabulary is not huge. All spiritual gifts need to be grown in, right? I have the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching, but I didn't teach and preach like this my first time. It was a horror movie. Ask my wife. She was there. I had the gift, but it had to be grown in and developed and matured and practiced and submitted to the Spirit. Tongues is the same way. So I found that that first night when I spoke tongues, it was like a few syllables. And now I have a small vocabulary, maybe this big. Even when we're praising the Lord in English, we exhaust our vocabulary pretty quickly. Like, God, you're the king of all kings. You're awesome. You're great. You're higher than the... Hallelujah. (laughs) Like, even in English, you can't say that much. So it's not that surprising if we can't say that much in tongues, and I believe that the Lord will develop it. So it's available for you in the Lord, maybe. Who knows? Only he knows. But what is this season in your life? Do you want it? Do you feel like you need it? Maybe it's time to rekindle it. You had it before. Maybe it's time to rethink it. It's honestly okay if you're like, I never want to think about it again. That's a biblical position. It's okay. The overarching thing to remember is that your Heavenly Father loves you. And everything that he does in your life is for your good and for the glory of Jesus. So keep pursuing the glory of Christ in the love of the Father and trust whatever he does in and through you. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today in your word. We just pray that you move in our midst in a way that is humble and authentic, helpful for us, and brings glory to Jesus. We honestly do want all that you have for us, Lord, nothing more and nothing less. We ask that we would be open to you. Pray that the word of Christ would dwell richly in us. That we would see clearly that, Jesus, you're worthy of all of our pursuit and all of our praise and able to handle all of our prayers. Help us, Holy Spirit, as we come to Jesus today. Help us to know his love as we take communion together. Help us to remember and celebrate and experience the work of the cross. Holy Spirit, come. Move in our midst for the glory of Christ.